I am so grateful for we have a God whose love never fails, that one thing remains every second of every day for eternity for each and every single one of us. For you sitting there today, whether you believe it or not, God's love is with you and it never fails. Thank you for a great chance to worship with you uh, this morning. Just we've had a wonderful opportunity for that. So appreciate the worship team this morning leading us into the presence of God so powerfully. Thank you. Well, we, um, we are continuing in our series, as it says up on the screens, on The Good Life. And, uh, and uh, this has been a series we've been doing for a few weeks here. And uh, we've been looking at the first chapter of Second Peter, uh, when God brings to us, really talking about the good life that he desires for us to have, that Jesus brought us. And, uh, and it isn't just something to kind of dream for, but something that's very attainable, something that we can grab a hold of. And he wants us to discover it and to experience it in full. Now, um, there's two concepts, two key concepts found in the beginning of Second Peter that kind of sets the table for today, and really for the whole series. We, we continue to touch on it from week to week because we want to remind ourselves as we go through it and kind of make sure we're starting in a good place here. Uh, and so, uh, first of it, first of all, it's found in Second Peter 1, verse 3, and it starts this way. It simply says, by His, speaking about God, His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. It starts out by saying God has already, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've asked him into your heart, he has already brought you every single thing you could possibly need to live in every single possible way he's asked you to do and he desires for you. He's brought it all to the table. It's already there. He's not holding out. He's not waiting for you to behave a certain way. Then he'll bring more. It's already there. It starts with God. It ends with God. It begins and it's completed. It goes on to say in a couple verses, however, beyond that, because there's two points that kind of are the foundation of our series here. Beginning in verse 5, it says this in 2 Peter 1. It says, In view of all this, what God has done and all that he is, make every effort to respond to God's promises. God has done all this. Now there's, a, there's our part. He says, Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness. Now, we're going to stop there with verse 6 because uh, that's the characteristic that we're going to focus on today, godliness. Now, of all the terms listed here, and we've looked at one each week, it's kind of been a, a good opportunity to do that. Of all the terms that have listed here, godliness is perhaps the one that is, uh, per, is, is misunderstood the most, I think. I'm not sure if we have a clear grasp of it. In fact, I think the term can be flat out intimidating when we read it. Um, and uh, God's directions to be godly can frankly strike fear into anyone's heart, <laughs> it, partly because we don't understand it, and partly because it sounds just so flat-out unattainable. I mean, godliness, really? Me? And uh, so let me ask you as we get started, I want to do this as a group participation exercise. What do you think about when you hear the term godliness? Now, we brought the whiteboard up. I'm going to just write some things down as you talk, and we'll raise hands or shout it out. If the shouting out gets too out of control, then I'll call on you or whatever. But when you hear the word godliness or the the term godliness, what comes to mind, either as a definition or as an emotional response to what, what, what any sort of thing fits? So there's kind of where we're at. What comes to mind? Godliness. Honesty. Okay, I'm going to write godliness at the top. And by the way, you don't have to say something right or wrong. Uh, you know, I'm not going to grade you, so I'm just going to write down everything said. So, okay, right off the bat, we can exhale and don't, you know, there's no, there's no wrong answers, no bad answers. What else? Attitude, and, and a good, I got a good chorus of something, but attitude stuck out there. Love. Attitude, I heard love and I heard perfection, yes? You guys are on a roll now. Mercy, mercy. 
ultimate authority. Oh, see, now I can't write that fast. (laughs) Ultimate authority. And if I do, you won't have a chance to read it, which is only marginal anyway. And if it's not readable, what's the point of doing this, right? So closer. Okay, so you guys are great. First service, I knew it was going to take a while to get primed. You are on. Anybody else over here? A smile. Purity. Oh, my goodness. That's good. (laughs) Awesome job. (laughs) All of them are right. No, I I look at this. I look at all these things. And interestingly enough, we've been looking at all these terms in 2 Peter. Some of these terms actually appear there. The the term godliness, I think, can be a little bit intimidating for us because we start looking at this and going, it's all of this. In fact, I didn't get a third or a quarter down of all the things you shouted out, let alone what it could be. I'd need a huge page, and we just go on and on and on and on to fill out, to fill out all the things about godliness. But it, it starts really looking like perfection. Is that what godliness is? If godliness is being like God and God is perfect, then it's perfection. And so is this, it starts now starting to get really kind of intimidating for me because is it just flat out saying God says, I want you to be perfect? But I kind of know that although I can be perfect right this second in God, can I really achieve perfection? Is he asking me to do something I can't do? But we just read in a verse, it says that God has already given us everything we need for living a godly life. I'm kind of trying to, I don't want to say confuse you, but I want to stir things up a little bit. Some of these words, some of these concepts appeared in the list that have already been listed there in 2 Peter that we've covered over the last few weeks. And so is God just throwing out godliness to kind of cover all of them? But why bother to give us the list then, right? Because if godliness encompasses all of these things that are here, is it, uh, if we were to say add godliness to your life and character, it almost seems it can seem the same as, uh, as saying, add the feeling of guilt to your life. Because <laughs> you can't do it, right? But, but, but God has told us that we can, or he's given us. And, and is it such a general goody-goody term that it simply encompasses all the other terms in the Bible? Now, I, I want to do this, like I say, as we kind of look at this concept of godliness. It's interesting to observe that in the Bible, the, the Bible is a book on godliness, isn't it? It's a book on godliness, and yet the words godliness and godly hardly appear at all in scripture. It was fascinating for me to discover that this week as I started, let's do the work and define the words in the original languages and look at all the verses. That was really easy because there's just a few. The Bible is a book on godliness and yet the terms godly and godliness hardly appear at all in the New Testament. So what exactly is godliness? Uh, Nothing here is wrong per se, but I feel like this is where we're at that we miss something, that it's very behavior oriented for us. And so I want to help you see what I discovered this week. And that's this. Let me give you just a quote and won't bother to name where it comes from. It says, godliness certainly includes Christian character. Okay, godliness certainly includes Christian character, but it's more than that. There is another even more fundamental aspect of godliness than godly character. It is a foundation, in fact, on which godly character is built. You ready? Now, every other week, we've listed a little definition in your outline of the self-control or whatever it is that we've gone through. This time, I left a bunch of blanks because I didn't want to give you the definition ahead of time. Otherwise, this project here might have not happened. But I want to put the definition up, and you can fill up the blanks. Godliness is devotion to God, which results in a life that is pleasing to him. Godliness is devotion to God, which results in a life that is pleasing to him. It starts with our devotion to God, not our behavior. 
okay? That's truly what, as you dig into what the definition of godliness or, or being godly is on a scriptural level, what that means. Now, we're going to unpack this more in just a minute because this is, this is really huge for our understanding. If, we, if we're called to be godly, I want to know what that is, <laughs> let alone how to get there, right? So this is where we start. We want to build godliness into our lives. God says that's an important thing to do. And so uh, th- this is certainly a part of it, what we've put up here. But uh, again, if you want to follow along in your outlines, we're going to say, God, we want to build godliness into our lives. How do I do that? And so here's a couple of helpful things that Scripture is going to reveal for us today. First of all, we need to pursue God first, not godliness. Pursue God first, not godliness. <laughs> now, I think too often we get it backwards and we pursue the second things first. It's kind of our Western way of doing things. We're very results-oriented, so give me the bottom line, right? Have you ever said that? or heard? Give me the, what does it look like? And, and so that's what we try to put in front of us. And so here's what's important to understand. God is not saying, I want you to be first and foremost devoted to ministry. He's not saying, I want you to be first and foremost devoted to worship, or be devoted to serving, or to witnessing, or to be devoted to even living a godly life. He says, I want you to be devoted to me. See, sometimes I feel like we come to worship service and people say, man, I really want to experience worship today. God says, you're not coming to experience worship, you're coming to experience me. You're coming to connect with me, and as you do that, you're going to find true worship. But don't come for worship. I really want to have a good worship time today. I, I don't. I had a great worship time. I've had two awesome worship times together with, with service. The, Dave, awesome job with your team to put together a, a package today. But it wasn't the worship. It was God that brought me to worship. And I feel like sometimes we also pursue a godly life. I need to pursue a godly life. God says, I didn't ask you to pursue a godly life. I asked you to pursue me. And by the way, when you do that, godly life is going to result. That's going to be a result. True devotion to God always results in godly character it always does that. If you pursue godliness on your own, you know, that, that, that is we start striving for some kind of super moral character. And then that often results in legalism and it always results in failure, right? And that's where that just turns. So, but if you pursue God with your whole heart, you end up becoming more godly in character. It's what are, what are we pursuing? It's kind of that whole idea of, it, you know, it, that you become like who you spend time with. You know, if you want to become a great basketball player, hang out with great basketball players, and hopefully they'll let you play with you, you know? If you want to go all the way up to the Kevin Durant's and, and you know, LeBron James with or without leg cramps, Kobe Bryant or whatever else, if they let you play basketball, I don't care where you are in the back to basketball spectrum, you would become a better basketball player because you become like who you spend time with. Well, that's absolutely true in your spiritual life with God. That's, and that's the way that it is. You hang out with God more, you're going to become more godly just by spending time with, with God. And by the way, I don't think those guys I just named are going to let you play basketball with them, but God's going to hang out with you anytime you want. Always available. That's a good thing. So what does it involve when we say pursue God? Uh, you know, it's easy to say, but what does that actually mean? Our pursuit of God needs to show itself in three specific ways. And these, again, appear as subpoints on your outline. First of all, our pursuit of God means we need to fear God. We need to pursue God with proper fear. And I feel like this is an area that the church in the 20th century, at least here in the West, in, in, in the United States, uh, that we've kind of done a, a poor job of this. Because I think we, we kind of pursue that concept of, of uh, that friendly, loving, compassionate, chummy side of God. Because we want that personal relationship. And, and that's great. But I think we all too often ignore the fact that God is um, huge. And he's all-powerful. And he's above and beyond all things. He's God after all. And he's all of this and he's amazing. And, and, and somehow I think we've lost some of that amazement because we're clamoring for that little close personal thing. Now we'll talk about close personal in a second, but the truth is God is huge. 
Now, Hebrews 12 says, 20, 29, I just picked a couple verses here. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with, what's it say? Holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. Some translations say a consuming fire. Wait a second. Well, this isn't talking about the touchy-feely, lovey, soft side of God, and that's certainly there, but what is it saying? Be thankful, please God, by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. It's the wow factor. God is amazing. Now, the thing about fear as you, and I like just simply defining it as, as the wow end of things, is wow is that fear creates space usually. Fear creates, even when I say wow, I kind of go wow, and you kind of step back. Fear often creates healthy space. I, think, I was thinking about that. Um, I thought of wild animals that I can really admire, but I don't usually go up and pet them, right? Some, hopefully they're in a zoo, but I, some of the trips, that national park trips I took with my wife earlier on before we had kids, I remember seeing grizzly bears several times. Fortunately, never up close. But up there on the hill, wow, that's an amazing, huge animal. And all of a sudden, a ranger would come up and say, and he's turning this way, it's time to get back in the car. <laughs> because fear, proper fear, was going to create some space, right? And we kind of nod and say, I understand that. that. That's the way that it is. And so um, that's, that's true. Now, to apply that to us spiritually, I just simply want to say this. Make sure you revere God, not just treat him as your buddy. Okay, I didn't say don't treat him as your buddy, not just treat him as your buddy. Now, I love the C.S. Lewis quotes. You know, he did a brilliant man who also wrote these kids books for Narnia that I still love today. How about you, let alone the movies and stuff like that? Yeah, and so the, the Jesus figure in the books, Aslan is a lion, and I love this more than once it says this. When they talk about Aslan, who Lucy loves to just cuddle in his mane at the same time, they say, don't mistake, he is not a tame lion. Aslan is not a tame lion. Don't mistake that in the midst of, of being fullness of who he is. He is still a lion. We need to understand that our God is a lion. So as we pursue God, part of our pursuit of God is the wow! And my eyes get big and I step back. This God who's a consuming fire, who dwells in unapproachable light, even though we're called to enter into the throne room of grace. At the same time, there's this, this awe factor. He deserves it for us to kneel, to lie on our face sometimes, to say, wow, a little bit more. Because that's who he is, and he deserves that. But secondly, we properly pursue God, not just by fearing God, but also when we love God. When we love God. Okay? Now, now this may... Uh, this, this seems to be almost the opposite of fearing God, but that's kind of the push-pull part of it because the same Bible that refers to the Jehovah God of power and majesty and awesomeness also refers to him as completely loving. And, and so it, John 15, 13, Jesus, just before he was crucified, is talking to his closest followers, and he says, there is no greater love than what I'm going to do for you right now to lay down one's life for one's friends. I couldn't love you any more than I do. And the biggest demonstration I could love to make of love to you today is I'm going to die for you 2,000 years before you're born. I'm going to die for you because I love you. I'm going to die for you because I love you that much. And by the way, because he loves us, First John says that we're able to love. We love because he first loved us. You see, our love is in response to his love. And so this just starts happening because of his love. Now, we said that fear, we just talked about, creates space, but love creates closeness and intimacy, doesn't it? And, and we need both. We need both. 
we keep our distance from that powerful grizzly bear, but when we see a cute little cuddly kitten or a cute little puppy, we, we want to gather close, depending upon whether you're a cat or a dog person. I get it. <laughs> you know, you see, oh, the little kitty, little puppy, and we just kind of what? Want to scoop it up and kind of cuddle it because it's so warm and cuddly and cute and fun? <sighs> my Andrew, my 12-year-old Andrew, just yesterday told me about, oh, we were driving home, Dad, and just down the street from our house, way too close, frankly, from where we live up on Banner Man. He says, I saw there was a little mom with seven tiny little fur balls, and they went into their little hole. I said, what kind of animal? It was, they were seven little skunks. <laughs> Andrew, we don't cuddle skunks. <laughs> they might have been furry, but who do I call to get rid of a family of skunks that has appeared just down from my house, right, in that process? But we see that love, it just makes us want to draw them close unless they have white stripes down their back and we're working on that with Andrew. Okay, we talked about fearing God and finding that proper wow that creates space, but we need to pursue closeness with God by, well, how do we do that? By receiving his love and forgiveness fully. By receiving that. You know, we get caught in our guilt trips and our shame trips because I made a mistake, I blew it, I sinned, I mm, 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 and God must not love me. And God says, what? I love you. I'm helping you not make some of those mistakes and not sin, but I love you. I couldn't love you more than I do. It's right there. Receive that fully so that you can love him completely. Receive his forgiveness and love on a moment-to-moment basis. Third, we pursue God when we fear him, when we love him, and third, when we desire God. When we desire God, that, that's a pursuit of God that's not casual. It's extreme. And so, it, by the way, this isn't just desiring good things from God. I'll take the good stuff, God. Give me the stuff. Give me the blessing, right? Not just, not just desiring the things he gives us. Even if, and, of course, God brings everything to the table. But if he brought nothing to the table, I still want him, and I want him bad. I want him bad. Psalm 42, and I love this, says... As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul, so, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Whom or when shall I come and appear before God? And I love this picture of, you know, we live in an era where there's deer everywhere, you know, sometimes way too often in our yards eating our stuff. But I love this picture if you could see deer in a pleasant light for a moment. Just being thirsty and not like a dog, just panting like they do, but like I'm thirsty and I'm, I've been running and bouncing around and, and I'm thirsty and I'm looking and I'm and, and water and like bring it on, bring the water. And I love that picture of do I have that same desire for God, you know? When I go into a restaurant when I'm really hungry and you start smelling the smells that are coming out of the kitchen if it's a good restaurant. Oh, man, the taste buds start going. I'm like, I want whatever I'm smelling and bring it really quickly, (laughs) right? Because I want it. I need that. I I desire that right now. Do I have that same desire for God? Now, Psalm 42, this verse that we just read, um, there's there's a kind of an alternate translation of the last couple words that really bring the desire into focus. Yay, we have that up there. It's called, um, I bumped across this, it's called revocalization. In the Hebrew language, written language, they didn't write any vowels. Picture the English language with no vowels. Let's just skip over the vowels. They're not important. And just hit the consonants. And because you and I know the language, you just know if I write a word out minus the vowels. But you'll hear me speak it as well. You know what I'm talking about. What that has led to is difficulty in translation. They've done an excellent job. But as scholars continue to look, this last line, it says, okay, dear pants, so my soul pants, my soul thirsts. You get this great picture. It says, when shall I come and appear before God? And this revocalization, meaning all the same consonants, if the vowels were a little different, an alternate translation, which I really like, says this, um, when shall I come and 
see the face of God. Not just appear before him, but appear before him and actually see his face. And I thought, what? That is amazing desire. I don't want to just be in his presence, but I want to see him. And I don't just want to see his cloak. I don't want to just see his hands for what he can give. I want to see his face. I want to see the eyes. I want to see that smile. I want to see what he looks like. Oh, I understand that the Bible says anybody who looks on God's face will die. If that's what it costs, that's what I want. You know, if it brings death, great. But I want it that bad. I want God. I want to see his face. It says several times in the Psalms, the psalmist writes, I seek your face. I seek your face, O Lord. It's your face that I seek. Oh, do I have that desire for God? See, we're talking about pursuing God, not godliness, a godly lifestyle. Pursuing God says, I'm going to fear God with a wow. Pursuing God says, I'm going to love God with the hug and receive of his love and forgiveness. And it's going to be a dogged pursuit of him because he loves me and because he is who he is. And I'm going to do that. Well, building godliness into our lives absolutely begins with pursuing God first and foremost. But there's several other points from Scripture that we're going to take a look at today. Secondly, to build godliness into our lives, we need to train for it. We need to train for it. Now, in life, we train for what's important to us, don't we? I mean, we talk about training. We, our immediate layer ahead goes to working out and sports and stuff like that. But godliness doesn't just happen. <laughs> you have to train for it. It takes some effort. It takes some work. Now, in 1 Timothy 4, one of the passages that talks about godliness and living a godly life says this. It says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Throw those off. Rather, train yourself. There it is. To be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Now, earlier in life, uh, down in Southern California, I did a lot of weightlifting and weight training. And, and since I've come up here, I've been doing more running and, and all the way up to marathon uh, training. And I got to tell you, in both areas, whether you're lifting weights, you're playing a sport, or you're running, or whatever else, there's three things I found very important. First of all, it takes hard work. I mean, if you want to get anywhere, I mean, I guess if you actually want to like complete a marathon, you might actually work at it. it takes hard works for you to get very far secondly it takes more than once <laughs> in other words repeated and regular work not like hey i ran a few miles a month ago that ought to last me <laughs> last you for what right so it takes repetition hard work repetition and regular work and the third thing that can be really helpful is creativity and variance you know you're lifting weights so back in the days i used to lift a lot and you know you'd have out 74 exercises you do or whatever but occasionally every month or so they'd say trick your muscles what? Ha! Tricked you. Ha! Trick, you know, but trick your muscles. Change something up a little bit to just kind of break you out of that routine because routine becomes routine. Same thing is true in, in, in running as well and so many things. So those things, hard work, repeated and regular hard work, and the creativity. And that's so true in our, godly, in our pursuit of God as well as we train for godliness. First of all, work. Be ready to work at it. If you sit here and say, I want to pursue God and train myself to be godly, I want to work at that. And that might mean something like actually open your Bible. <laughs> Get that Bible out. Use Bible study tools as needed. It's a little more work, Pastor John. Ooh, train yourself to be godly. Uh, journal, even if you don't like writing. <laughs> I hear so many people say, I'm not really a journaler. But you know how many godly, godly people say it's a great thing to do? I think it's worth a try, even if it's <clears throat> work. You know, Memorization, I have a hard time. Work at it. It's so beneficial. Meditation and fasting, all these things that are a way to connect with God on a deeper level that, yes, involves training and choices that you make. So work at it. Repeat it regularly. Again, I read my Bible last month. That ought to hold me for a while. You know what? It will hold you. It's just not going to prosper you in the way that God has for you. Different things work for different people, but we all need to do something more than once or twice. And then I'd say the third point, remember, hard work, repetition, and regularity at it, and then creativity. 
You know, when we start praying the same prayers all the time and doing the same thing all the time, it starts getting old for us. How do you think it feels for God? I mean, he loves us, but he's kind of like this again, you know, macaroni and cheese again. So do something different. Try it differently. Usually I do my quiet times here. Awesome. Do something different. Incorporate different. What do you mean I don't have to do it the same way? No. I think God goes, all right, I got a little bit more of your heart because you changed it up. It's not that he's bored. He just wants more of our hearts. Well, building godliness into our lives. Third, God will help you to make the switch. We talked about pursuing God first, and then we're going to move this to God will help you make the switch. And you write that down, and we're training for it, of course. Now, what do I mean by make the switch? What are you talking about? Well, Titus, another one of the passages that talk about godliness, brings up two parts to this. Okay, there's two parts I want you to catch. First of all, the switch. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. There's a switch. It's throwing away the ungodliness and worldly passions and then switching to God's way. So that's the obvious needed switch. And you know what, you guys? It's not just a one-time deal. When I came to Jesus, I threw off all this stuff and I took on the new... Yeah, that's great, but I have to... I don't know, maybe it's just me. I have to do it every day. In fact, I have to do it lots of times every day. Every time some of these things start coming over, I need to push aside and take on... If you were here two weeks ago when I talked about self-control, we talked about removing bad habits and replacing them with good habits as a part of self-control. You can't just take the old out and leave nothing there. And God's talking about that here. He says, I, wanna, I want this to happen in your life, to make this switch, and it's done all the time. It's daily, and it's an important thing. But more important than the actual switch in these verses, see, it's what you wrote down um, in your, on your outline there at the top. It says, God will help you to make the switch. This is so important. This is God and his grace that trains us for this. This is a hooray, we have a trainer. We don't have to do it on our own. (laughs) This is beautiful. I love this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. You You mean he didn't say you have to do it on your own? It's exactly what he said. I'm going to train you. I will be your personal trainer. It's going to be beautiful. Okay, and they have a program at Club Sierra where I'm a member, and, and, and you, some of you are members at different places around the total body fitness craze that's kind of taken the world by storm because we like fads. Kind of incorporates all kinds of things to tax and destroy your body to, to build it up, you know, for the long run there. And, uh, but uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's doing crazy things you never thought you could do, but because there is a trainer there and others encouraging you and convincing you that you really can do it, and you know what? I've heard person after person after person say to me again and again that they end up doing far more than they ever thought they could, and they say it with a huge smile on their face. I did it, but I'm doing it, and I can't believe this. got this trainer there, and it's happening. Sure, Advil sales are going through the roof, but it's a positive thing all the way around. It's exciting to see what happened, and I look at this and go, look what a quality trainer can do. But God says, I want to train you. Where do you think God falls on the scale of bad to really good trainers, right? How about the perfect trainer? And God says, I I want to train you. The same is true with God as your trainer. He will lead you in the training. And the beauty is that when when you fail, when you drop the ball, when you don't achieve quite what you thought you could lift or do or whatever, God's going to forgive you. 
God just forgives you when you blow it and says, all right, let's go back and let's get back into the training. Let's get going again. I have this picture of God coming alongside me with this smile, being this good, encouraging coach and trainer saying, we can do this. We can do this. Let me show you the way. Let me guide you through. I'm going to walk you through this thing because I am interested in you having such a close relationship that you start to look like me. And it's going to be some of these things and more. It's going to happen. Let's train. Let's get to it. All right, God, let's make it happen. Funny thing about a trainer, though. If the trainer's in the gym by himself and you don't show up, he's there. He's always there ready to train, okay? Not, not making you do it, but available for you. And then we need to pursue God and we show up for the training. Well, finally, building godliness into our lives, we're going to take a look at this. We need to know that it's worth the investment. Because, folks, this is an investment. It's an investment of the will. It's a choice that you're going to make. It's, um, it's your time, it's your energy, it's your focus, it's reprioritizing, and we need to know that it's worth the investment, and it is. You see, it's easier to make an investment when there's a guaranteed return, right? I mean, if there was a guaranteed return, and so here are some verses that help us see that it's worth our investment of time and energy and focus and reprioritization. It's God's guarantee, and God isn't going to lie to you on this. We looked at a few of these verses, in short, I'm going to expand them so we can see in these two passages some of God's guarantee. Remember he said to, uh, to uh, train yourself to be godly in 1 Timothy 4, 7. In 8 through 10 it says, For physical training is of some value. He says it's a good thing to do, but godliness has value for all things. This is God speaking, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He's saying it's worth the investment right now. It Dividends right now, payoff right now, and for later on. And by the way, that means eternity. <laughs> Pretty good investment. It's worth it right there. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And, and, and so this is true, he's saying. This is, you can trust me in this. And, and that's why we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God. He says, it's going to take some work. We're going to do this together. I'm your trainer. But, but this why we do it, because we have this hope in the living God, who's the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. He says, as a follower of Jesus, this is what I have for you. And in Titus 2, 11 to 13, we read some of this. But it says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. This is a switch we talked about. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, waiting for our blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your investment brings a return. Some of it now, some of it later. It's gonna happen. Jesus is giving us the good life here on earth and then an eternal and amazing, perfect life for eternity in Jesus. I mean, that's just an amazing thing. Now, most of us, I think, would quickly put, mm, frankly, a lot of money into a big investment if it had a guaranteed huge rate of return, Right? If I could, now I sound like a salesman online or something, right? I can guarantee you, you know, 40% on return on your budget. If it was an absolute guarantee, in fact, you'd probably be saying, how can I get some as much money as possible to pump it into that thing? Because if it's a guaranteed huge rate of return, I want to do that. That's just wise. Well, that's, that's the exact same thing. Now, of course, in the real world, there's, there's really not that. But God says you will get a huge eternal return, and it'll be worth it. In fact, it isn't just wait for eternity. Eternity starts today. He says, I'm giving you this, this guarantee return. It's going to be worth it. So, so God says, take heart, keep pursuing me, that's God speaking, and, and, and reap rewards here on earth, and many, many more for eternity, and you have my word on it, says God, who's the investment banker and the trainer and the model and the grizzly bear and the 
cuddly little puppy and, and all those things. So, so what did we cover today? We started talking about godliness and thought maybe it's intimidating, maybe it's boring, maybe it's impossible, and we realized something different. We realized that pursuing godliness means pursuing God by fearing him, loving him, and desiring him. We said that building godliness into our lives means we have to train for it. And I would simply say, are you willing? Are you willing to take the step and meet with the trainer beginning today? It thankfully also means that God will be our trainer as we switch from worldly living in pursuits to godly living in pursuits. Because I didn't say it's going to be easy, by the way, but it is going to be worth it. And that's the last point. We can build godliness into our lives by knowing that every part of this journey is worth the investment. God puts it before you and says, and it's your choice. Pursue me for godliness because I've already given everything you need to live a godly life in me. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this morning and the chance to um, look into this tough topic, Father. Godliness, being godly, it, 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 it put me off, frankly, Lord, earlier as I began research on this, and yet you have drawn me in so close. I'm so grateful for that, Lord. Um, instead of focusing on the 9,000 things that I need to do, I can focus on you, that you are worthy of my fear and my love and my desire. And God, I pray for each one of us that we're there today. Father, I would even pray then that, that decisions be made right now, Lord, that, that maybe we realize that we've lacked something in our life, Lord, that right now each man and woman sitting here youth that's here this morning today, that they would choose right now to say, Lord, I'm going to allow you to change me. I'm going to allow you to train me, whatever that it is. And maybe you're someone who's never asked Jesus into your heart, and he wants to come into your heart and be way more than your trainer. He wants to be, give, wants to be your forgiver and your leader. And you can do that by inviting him right now, embracing who he is, receiving his forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. Lord, we love you. We look forward to becoming more godly as we train with you. In Jesus' name, amen.